how the hell does Tim Curry pull this off in this movie? <laughs> Welcome to an episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brand Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And this episode, we are concluding our month of contained movies. And so, Thomas, what have we talked about this month regarding the contained genre? We've talked about the kind of evolution from stage plays into these films. Uh, you know, we keep bringing up 12 Angry Men because that's one of the most iconic ones. But, but a lot of times when you see films like these, they are based on plays um and then we've talked about from a filmmaking standpoint one i think a lot of people are attracted to this type of film because it is usually cheaper uh you have one set that you can put a ton of work into like we talked about with rear window um and then but then you're just there you don't have to worry about company moves you don't have to worry about changing anything out You, you kind of just continue in that set that you've built and it can also make scheduling easier. You know, if you're making a film and it's entirely on a soundstage, then then you're mm-hmm. set. You don't have to worry about day or night or weather or anything like that. But we've also talked about from a production standpoint, the concept of blocking, you know, where the camera's mm-hmm. going to move, where the people are going to move and how heavily these movies have to be rehearsed because it is a lot more important when there's not this kind of dynamic motion within the film you know going going out here doing a big establishing shot here coming in here then it's it's a lot more tricky to make the camera feel dynamic but in a lot of these films that we've seen they've gotten very creative with how to kind of pull that off how to it's it can be one of those restraints that can foster creativity for sure yeah, I think that is, that's why that's that way with a lot of filmmakers in this genre. Mm-hmm. And um, then and then conceptually, one of the yeah. main things we keep coming back to is, you know, whether it's a comedy, whether it's a thriller, whether it's a, a an allegory for the history of the world. Um, <laughs> there's always this kind of like psychological like cabin fever to to any yeah. of these movies. This this idea that that being stuck in one place, whether it's by yourself or with the kind of the same group of people, or if it's, you know, looking out over the group of people like rear window, it can, can drive you a little nuts. Yeah. And, and coming out of COVID, I think it's very, uh, relatable. Um, it's, it's funny. I mean, we could have easily covered this at the very beginning of when we kind of read this revamp of the show because we were so in it with COVID, but it's, it's, I think it's been a little enlightening. We'll talk about later, uh, at the end of the episode of like coming to this genre out of covid now in a way we're like mm-hmm. the paranoia aspect is very relatable mm-hmm. like the cabin fever aspect is very relatable and realistic and authentic and realistic so that all makes sense yeah we talked about all those things talked about the creative side of it technical side like you said no matter what what genre it is like you said it's it's there is this paranoia thing but there's also the idea of that these characters can't leave for some reason mm-hmm. there's always something that kind of prevents them from leaving if it's rear window if it's if it's lb jeff L or jeff jeffrey's uh uh broken leg or if in clerks it's dante's having to work that day because his boss has gone out of town and didn't tell him or if it's mother or if it's 12 angry men with them having to do the do the uh, verdict for the jury um something has to keep them there mm-hmm. and this one's interesting because it, it's stuff keeps them there but it's also like a device that's put upon them Mm-hmm. in a way from from one of the characters um 
so yeah so thomas what are we talking about today in our final episode for this series so today uh this is a movie i've, I've threatened to cover a couple of times in a couple of different <laughs> genres but we are covering the uh, 1985 comedy cult classic clue Mm-hmm. based on the uh, classic board game of the same name clue is a murder mystery comedy in which a group of people are brought together to solve an increasing number of murders knowing that the murderer is among them it was written and directed by jonathan lynn and features an ensemble cast of comedic talent including tim curry madeline Kahn, christopher lloyd eileen brennan martin mole michael mckean and leslie ann warren great cast yeah. great cast so Brandon, what are what's your what's your background on Clue? I know you and I have seen it together before. We have seen it together. I think that was the last time I saw it too. Was when we saw it in theaters at the New Art. No, so so Clue is one. I was thinking about this today uh, when when we were before prepping. I was like, when did I first see Clue? And I I can almost guarantee I saw this movie on like Comedy Central like one like mm-hmm. afternoon for the first time. Like, I'm pretty sure that's where I saw it. I was like, what is this movie? Um, and like, I was never really like clue was always a board game growing up. That, like I was aware of, but didn't play mm-hmm. like clue. Clue was not the childhood board game of my, of, of me and my friend's choice. Um, but I was always aware of it. And so when the movie, when I'm watching the movie, I was like, Oh, this is that, this is that board game that, <laughs> that my friends have in their closet and they pull out. Um, and see, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw on cable. I feel like it's one that I just saw, over and over over and over on cable and i think i was kind of intrigued by the ending structure of it Mm -hmm. i feel like i feel like that's something that kind of would there's been a few movies have done that previously or 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 like that i'd seen before but clue kind of is the one that feels like it it started it in a way it's i think of what pops in my head is like wayne's world wayne's Mm -hmm. world has that like but that didn't happen (laughs) this is what actually happened Mm -hmm. this is the scooby-doo ending or whatever it was um so yeah it's one that i've always loved i think my appreciation for it has has grown over the years i think now and we'll talk about it a little bit later I, like watching it this time kind of what i noticed more compared to the previous times and uh so yeah it's, i've always kind of loved it i think now with murder mysteries i think we're there's become more of a love for it in a way i think specifically with knives out it's recently been mm-hmm. released and more of them coming um knives out in a very similar fashion is feels like a it's a love letter to murder mysteries and i think clue is a very similar thing it's a love letter to murder mysteries to the to the literature aspect of it like the agatha christie novels and and made the old kind of old house murder mystery in england or whatever this time it's in new england but yeah it's it's one that's always kind of been in the rotation of one i've liked but i think we've seen it kind of grow in stature over these past few years Mm -hmm. more so what about you? Clue, Clue is one movie that I like saw very young and distinctly remember seeing it. Um, I was on vacation with my family. I was probably like seven or eight. And we were in the hotel room like flipping channels one night. And I remember my dad flipped to it right at the beginning. And it was that shot of the mansion and like the lightning mm-hmm. striking. And my dad like stopping on the channel and my mom kind of being like, you know, what's this? Why are you stopping? And he was like, I'm pretty sure this is young Frankenstein and (laughs) I had never seen young Frankenstein at that point, but they like, they just launched this conversation between the two of them as to whether I was old enough to see young Frankenstein yet. And then by the time we realized it was, it it was like, Oh, okay. We're going to, we're watching this instead of clue anyway. And then, and, and so I loved it. And so when we got home, 
like immediately went to blockbuster and rented clue and young frankenstein and then that was like the what led to me seeing young frankenstein for the first time uh-huh. um but yeah I, I ended up like buying clue and showing it to all my friends and they probably didn't enjoy it as much as i did but yeah it's definitely <laughs> one that one of those that stuck to me like it's like i kind of like you know i had it on vhs and then it probably went for a couple of years without seeing it and then at some point in college i was out on like i was on spring break on a spring break trip mm-hmm. with like a bunch of college friends and somebody quoted clue and we were like oh my you love clue and he was like yeah i love clue and we were like let's go home and watch clue and just like left the bar and went back to the <laughs> rental house and watched clue like um and then you know i've seen it we, we went and saw a midnight screening of it in la so it's it's one that's always been around for me it's it's kind of like it, it holds a very similar place in my heart as ones like we've talked about on our Monty Python episode or our young Frankenstein yeah. episode that is accessible to children. Yeah. But, but it, it, like you said with Monty Python, it kind of helps. It's kind of like how to get comedy. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a bridge yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, so, so it's always been one that's very close to me. And this is one I, I think I, I texted you at some point during quarantine, I put it on and I was like, we have to do this on the podcast because the I've never noticed how insane the blocking is in this movie. Like, yes, yeah, especially in that final third act mm-hmm. um, when Tim Curry just goes on a tour de force. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's, but even 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 earlier, we'll talk about that as we go. But the way I was noticing more this time, I was watching the the pacing of it because mm-hmm. it's a very even and also too directing for like eight people is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's like. I remember I read like a it was thing during COVID. Uh, USC was doing like a, a Soderbergh did like a talk or something. And he sent out like a a list of like rules to kind of live by or whatever. And and basically one of the things was like when you start when you have more than four, he goes or really plan out your shots because when you start having more than four people in a scene, it gets really tricky really mm-hmm. fast. And this scene, th- this movie is like the balance of all the characters is actually kind of insane mm-hmm. of how well they do it. Yeah. And, and, and the writing of it in the, in the direction of it. And we'll, we'll dive more into it. Cause there's one thing we'll talk about specifically, but like the way it keeps everyone involved in the scene and no one's really being left out. Mm-hmm. That's a hard feat. Yeah. And it's a, it's, it's a very hard thing to do. And I except think the, and the, the ingenious thing about this is like, no one is left out except when they're left out because they are in the process of committing a murder and yeah, yeah. and you don't they, notice it they're really. covered, yeah they're <laughs> the the other cast like steps up to cover it so well that you you, you don't notice when they're out of the room yeah like, i've never gone back and be like oh there's mrs peacock's not here in this scene yeah. i've never like tried to go back i was like oh yeah she's not in that scene apparently yeah. i should go back and look at that and i never did <laughs> yeah I, I I watched it this um, as many times as I've seen the movie. Watching it for this episode was the first time I really watched for that. Yeah, and, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it more. How kind of difficult that process was. But all right, okay. So the story of of Clue the film truly begins in 1949, <laughs> when uh, British musician Anthony Pratt and his wife Elva, inspired by their love of Agatha Christie, created the board game Clue Do which was released in America as Clue, but apparently continues to be called Clue-Do in England. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but it became a quick game night staple. So then we jump forward. So that's 1949. Jump forward to 1980. Uh, Deborah Hill, John Carpenter's writing and producing yeah. partner, buys the film rights to the board game. 
she had the idea to play it as a comedy uh, because there is something inherently ridiculous about adapting a board game into a film. Like, I don't think she ever thought it was going to be done completely seriously. Uh, that so, feels like, uh, like nothing else. Like, I don't like that's probably never happened. That was, yes, that, that was the first time, you know, yeah, we've, yeah. we've since had battleships and transformers and whatnot. But yeah. this was the first time any kind of IP like that. This, you know, now nowadays IP is king and people will buy IP even though it doesn't come with any inherent story. But back then it was like IP was a book, a, a true story or a play. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you it's came like, with I, a script already attached, basically. Yeah. It's or, or it's like it's a TV. It's a TV show at one point that you mm-hmm. turned to a movie. That was that was somewhat happening. But like, yeah, it's like Superman was kind of right before it was in the 70s. And there's probably like a few smaller things as well, but nothing of this caliber of like let's especially not a board game at least that's that's it's kind of a crazy yeah, idea so w- with the idea of it being a comedy she approached john landis to direct the film so landis was instantly drawn to the idea of a murder mystery farce he really enjoyed the 1976 film murder by death which was fairly recent at that point and so he started working on an outline and he quickly came up with a, a lot of the basic plot of the film came from his outline the idea that the characters from the game would be people who were brought together under pseudonyms matching the board game to meet their mutual blackmailer who ends up murdered and then the killer being one of them. He realized quickly, however, that he wasn't a strong enough writer to actually come up with the mystery and the clues and the solution himself. So he approached his producers. He was in the process of working on American Werewolf in London and he approached his producers, Peter Goober and the famous John Peters. I saw Uh, that. (laughs) <laughs> to help him recruit a writer so they came on board for clue as well uh recently talked about the both of them when we did flash dance mm-hmm. um and if you saw licorice pizza this year you're familiar with john peters as well <laughs> yeah. um so goober it sounds like peters was attached but goober it sounds like was the one who really started trying to find writers for it um landis first told him to reach out to novelist tom stoppard okay and uh, so it's, apparently they, they paid Stoppard to work on a script and gave him a year to complete the script. And according to Landis, he knocked it around. Nobody ever saw a draft of it. And on the deadline, on the year deadline of him turning a script in, he just mailed the check back. Um, <laughs> Stoppard has been interviewed about this before and denies any knowledge of the film clue. <laughs> That's funny. So who knows? Uh, Landis's next idea was a little-known writing team who had written a 1973 whodunit film called The Last of Sheila. Mm-hmm. It was two gentlemen uh, named Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a weird duo. I've never, I haven't seen the movie yet. It's one. Of, it's like I've been circling for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know it's kind of odd, odd little film. Yeah, Sondheim. It's it's weird because it's not a musical to my knowledge it's just apparently Sondheim was a big mystery buff and Anthony Perkins was as well uh together guys for those of you who are unaware Stephen Sondheim you know uh very famous Broadway musical composer Anthony Perkins played Norman Bates in uh the psycho films (laughs) um but yeah apparently they had lunch with Landis and apparently they were both really excited by the idea so Landis got him in touch with the studio to get their deal going and the executives from paramount called landis and said do you know how much these guys are asking for who do they think they are to which landis <laughs> said who do they think they are it's fucking steven sinai and anthony perkins 
but the ultimately the studio would not sign off on paying Steven Sondheim and Anthony Perkins what they were worth. So they asked Goober. This is when kind of Goober steps in and is like, I'm going to find somebody who can pull this off, but also not going to charge us an arm and a leg. Yeah. So in 1983, Goober approached Jonathan Lynn, who was a British actor turned theater director who became a hit showrunner when he wrote the successful British sitcom Yes Minister, which was a political satire that took off in England in the early 1980s. Mm -hmm. Uh, Goober and Landis were both fans of the sitcom from watching it while they were shooting in London for American Werewolf. And so kind of coming up with the idea that maybe this needed to this was going to need to be kind of pulled off a little bit more like a sitcom. They, they approached yeah. him. Uh, Lynn turned down Goober immediately shocked at the idea that someone <laughs> would even think to turn a board game into a movie. Um, but he was tempted by the offer of a flight out to Hollywood to meet the team. He said he'd never flown first class before. So he said, yeah, what the hell I'll, <laughs> I'll fly out, try and try out first class and just meet with them. Uh, when he arrived in LA, Landis pitched his outline of the film to Lynn and acted out some of the scenes here I had in mind. And Lynn said he was won over, but the final part of Landis's pitch really boggled Lynn. It was uh, allegedly part of the reason why three other writers had pulled out after Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim. They went through three other writers who supposedly all pulled out because of this pitch, which was that Landis wanted to film four different endings with four different culprits and distribute them to different theaters. His idea being that when people love the movie, they would have to go, you know, they'd be like, I got to see this other ending. And so they'd have to yeah. go see it again in a different theater. And I'll be real. That sounds like a very John Landis idea for some reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you could see because like, at this point, like top of his top of his game. Mm -hmm. like, like, I'm not sure when Twilight Zone's happening yet. I think that's around this time. Yeah. But like he's done at this point, Blues Brothers. He's done Animal House um he's done um i don't know i think coming to america's afterwards after that but like he's he's really becoming the top mm -hmm. yeah he, so so twilight zone's two years before this um but he's probably in the midst of like trying to yeah well we'll see during, during shooting the trial right. is going to become oh an issue yeah okay but yeah it's like he's he it's like animal house blues bows and making my wealth of london trading places like he's at the top of his game in terms of comedy mm -hmm. as a comedy director so lynn spent about six months working on the script he said he was constantly worried that the idea of a board game movie and one with multiple endings would never work but in 1984 he flew back to la to present his script to landis hill goober and peters while he was still working off of landis's original blackmail pitch the idea of setting it in the 1950s against a backdrop of McCarthyism was all Lynn's idea. He mm -hmm. actually had a lot of friends in the British television industry who had been, who were American filmmakers who had been chased out of the U.S. Oh, during the Blacklist era. And so he had heard a lot of stories about that time and incorporated that into his script. Uh, the team loved Lynn's new script. But they had a bit of news for him at that meeting. So he comes in, he, he they, they all read it. They go, hey, Jonathan, we love this. This is great. But in the time it had taken to get the project off the ground, Landis had signed on to the film Spies Like Us and was due to leave <laughs> for Europe in a few weeks to get started. So they said, hey, listen, we love the script. We're moving ahead with it. You're going to direct, which he had <laughs> never directed anything at this point. He had directed some stage, some stage work, but he hadn't even directed an episode of his TV show. Wow, that's insane. That's insane to think about. 
when <laughs> looking at this movie. <laughs> so yeah, wow. so then kind of Landis kind of you know said hey i'm glad i got this off the ground and kind of washed his hands of it and went off to make yeah. spies like us so lynn took over for all the casting was lynn from 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 then on so kind of surprising for a comedy of this size most of the cast fell into place pretty easily uh-huh. uh there were a few shakeups. the first role that they cast was the wadsworth role and we can talk about later some of their other options but they they, they went yeah. through a few options uh Lynn ultimately pitched Rocky Horror cult icon Tim Curry, and the producer mm-hmm. said that would be amazing if if we can figure out how to get Tim Curry. They didn't realize that Lynn had the inside scoop. He and Curry were boyhood boarding school friends. Wow! And Curry signed on immediately, saying he had always been a huge admirer of Lynn and was excited to get the chance to work with him. It's about who you know, man. Who you know? <laughs> Most of the rest of the cast were actually Lynn's first choices. Uh, a lot of them he recruited from the sitcom world, himself being a sitcom man. Christopher Lloyd mm-hmm. obviously wouldn't break out into Back to, Back to the Future until the same it, year that Clue came out in 1985. Year, yeah. yeah. So yeah. when he was cast in Clue, he they knew him from his work on uh, tax on the sitcom Taxi. Yeah, yeah. Martin Mole had been on the satirical soap opera Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Michael McKean had had some success with this as Spinal Tap, but was originally yeah. made famous by Laverne and Shirley. So you got a lot of got a lot of sitcom folks present. Yeah, and and, and Martin Mole, I think like he he had been Mr. Mom at this point was one of the things he had done. He was he was the 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 guy who's trying to have an affair with uh, Terry Gar. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting cast because it's like it's it's you wonder if Landis did this. This might be a later, later question, but like he would have he would load this with like big stars. I feel like you know mm-hmm. what I mean. I think he yeah. was at that point where like he could have loaded so many big stars in this movie, and I think because and people have argued that, that some of these actors are big stars, but I think in comparison, like again, just go look at Twilight Zone. It's like you have some pretty heavy hitters mm-hmm. in a movie that is mostly known for what happened after or during not the actual film um it's like he, he probably played dan Aykroyd or someone in this movie i mm-hmm. feel like i feel like dan yeah. Aykroyd would have been a character um but yeah i, I think it's that it, it worked i think it might be one of its charms to it is because it doesn't have big actors mm-hmm. in it well speaking of that probably probably the biggest name they got was not on purpose madeline khan yeah her agent actually reached out to them and said hey yeah madeline would really like to do this and they were just kind of his uh lynn's mind was blown like he he was yeah. like absolutely i'm not going to turn down madeline khan but like that, she was not on his radar at all uh another actor who kind of approached the film was eileen brennan she was a famed character actor from the 60s and 70s uh mm-hmm. but she was in the process of trying to get back into acting after a two-year recovery period she had a very serious car wreck and then had a struggle with pain pill addiction afterwards mm-hmm. so this was kind of her first film back and mm-hmm. and so they kind of reached out and they were like hey you know we heard you're doing this comedy eileen brennan is is trying to get back into uh working and and lynn was obviously very excited to have her too especially since she had been in murder by death mm-hmm. the only uh casting decision that lynn says was not his own was lee ving who plays mr body the blackmailer uh lee ving was the front man for the punk band fear and he had a new album oh, coming up yeah. soon through uh through paramount and he uh-huh. had apparently told Paramount that he wanted to pursue acting, so they put him in the movie to sync up with his album release. And now I just remembered what else he was in that we've covered. Yeah, he was in uh, Flashdance. He's in Flashdance. Yep. 
which is also done by those guys. John Peters and Peter Goober, yeah. Oh, wow. So Leslie Ann Warren was the last person to be cast. She came in a week before rehearsal started because the original Miss Scarlet, Carrie Fisher, had just checked into rehab. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Apparently there was this whole there's an interview with lynn you can read where he's like yeah you know i just i was from the british television world i like had no idea about the drug scene in la and so like <laughs> i had cast carrie fisher in this and then she, they reached out and said she was in rehab and then she reached out to me and said like she could come do it during the day and then go back to rehab at night and i was like yeah sure that works and then the studio insurance company was like there's absolutely no, no way we will no ever way. allow that yeah, yeah, yeah. So because this point it's like I mean film sets this point like cocaine's running rapid yes, on film especially sets. Like John what, Peters film set yeah 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 that's like that's part of the budget yeah. like that's like that's the craft services budget right there probably <laughs> you know so they called on Leslie Ann Warren who had just gotten an Oscar nomination for her role in the film adaptation of Victor Victoria she was also oh, yeah. the ex-wife of John Peters with whom they shared a child they were married before he dated Barbara Streisand with the full cast assembled Lynn brought them together for the first time for a screening on the Paramount lot of His Girl Friday mm -hmm. telling them all that the movie would live or die on that level of chemistry and bouncy dialogue the, uh, the only set required for the film, the Victorian manner in which the entire film takes place, was erected on a soundstage for a million dollars, which took up a decent chunk of the film's $15 million budget. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a decent amount of money. They, uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they rented, fun little trivia fact, they rented a lot of the uh, furniture for the inside from the Teddy Roosevelt estate. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is a fun fact. A lengthy rehearsal process was necessary for this film. Like we said, not only does the movement of the characters have to be funny, but it also has to check out with not one, but four solutions to yeah. the murders. So, yeah. you know, like we were saying, there's just certain people have to be in some scenes and not in other scenes. And now the camera has to be able to cover for, you know, when somebody's not in the scene, you have to yeah. just kind of focus away from them. And that was, that was difficult for Lynn because you know, he, even with like a sitcom background, even though he hadn't directed sitcoms, he had been around sitcom directing, but that's still kind of mm -hmm. sitcom directing is like a camera B camera and leave it wide and let the actors do their thing, you know? So mm -hmm. kind of learning to move the camera around was the biggest challenge for him on this one. Okay, I can see that. So when they embarked upon shooting, let's talk about some favorite scenes in this movie. All right. Um, We'll just start from the beginning. I, I actually really enjoy the way they introduce everyone in this movie. Every every critical review I read about this movie is like, oh, the dog poop bit is, yeah, they had, is they had horrible. And I'm like, oh, I think it's kind of fun. Well, I think that sets the tone of like, this is not your typical murder mystery. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's you, like and you that get everyone's kind of, it's, 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 it's weirdly part of the characterization. Like you, yeah. you get to see how each person kind of reacts to the smell of dog poop. <laughs> But no, it's just like it's like they know like what character it's interesting because like Mrs. Peacock is the one character that doesn't really like she has ties to the cook, but kind of no one else. But they they smartly spend less time on her in that moment and more time on like Mrs. White mm -hmm. or uh or Colonel Mustard. Like it's like you see them because they're all tied tied to Yvette, mm -hmm. and Yvette's the Yvette's the first one up, the first person you see. So it makes sense to see her the most. And then it's like, it kind of, then it's like, okay, we trickle everyone else in as we go. 
and then you also establish the off-site thing of of um professor plum and miss scarlet yeah um and it, and you just immediately from that first scene you get the idea that this this movie is going to be consistently covering up its clues with comedy you know yeah. like you get the the idea of martin mole of of colonel mustard like knowing a vet it's just kind of you know when you first watch it you're like oh he's just being like that because of she's wearing a revealing dress yeah, yeah. then you learn later that that they know each other and that's like oh that's yeah. why he was kind of being weird around her or then it's covered up you know his his awkwardness is covered up by the the bit with the door kind of opening on him when people come in so yeah that, that's and, a consistent theme throughout this movie is like clues are very often going to be covered up by bits yeah and, and he does a, and, and lynn does a good job of planting and paying off like in the in the opening of like certain shots like there's a shot of the chandelier mm-hmm when tim curry's showing martin mole to the to the library or whatever mm-hmm. or the study and you're like that means nothing right now but that but the chandler's gonna come into play big time uh by the end of the film um and and yeah even even the drinks it's all it's all kind of just it's setting up for what's gonna happen later mm-hmm. um but yeah, I think yeah, I think I think every introduction of the characters again like establishes Professor Plum as kind of this creep too. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. Like pretty much like right out of the gate, you're like, oh, this guy's kind of a creep. And then Leslie Ann Warren with Nascarlet's kind of someone that you know, like, oh, she's dealt with guys like this her entire life. Mm-hmm. Basically, is the thing, and she knows how to kind of manipulate them and use them how she wants to. Um, but yeah, I think I think it establishes them all very well. Yeah. Um, for this type of scene. And again, establish the tone of the movie, which is is very key in a film of this nature. Is the is the tone? Yeah, and it's not you know it's not one of those movies. It's not a constant sight gag like no, no. the parody films we were talking about. But yeah. it is kind of there. There is always some sort of physical comedy going on. Like everybody's awkward. Somebody's always stumbling over somebody else or or tripping. Yeah. And it's and I don't think it's ever distracting, but it no. does kind of keep the pace up you know it, yeah, it it, any, anytime like exposition is masked so well in this movie by mm-hmm. by comedy as well yeah it's i mean it's yeah it's the uh another piece later that's it's a, a bit the big tale from miss peacock is like oh i love this dish or whatever talking about the uh, mm-hmm. uh the monkey brains or whatever Cantonese Cantonese. monkey brains monkey brains uh is that what we ate um <laughs> but that leads to that scene so that's the i want to talk about because that was when I was watching this time and I was just like the editing and, and it's like blocking is like camera movement and the way you put actors. But like, I, I think that it comes into play too with how you, where you stage the camera with this. And again, that's the, that's the big key scene where like you have them all sitting down at a table together and having a conversation. And I swear that scene has to have at least 60 shots. Mm-hmm. It's kind of insane. Cause there's, there's two shots there's singles there's three shots there's masters there's two shots of like different characters there's two shots from different angles and it's keeping the pace going in what could just be a a stagnant dinner scene Mm -hmm. and it's able to just to ping pong back and forth between all of them and it's got that it's got that howard hawks kind of dialogue to it but in a way that the, the editing matches it and it just really yeah. keeps the you know it, it is that kind of dialogue where somebody will say something and then somebody else will have a smart remark about that and then 
the subject will change because of that smart remark and it turns yeah. they start talking about something else and-, and and that's when you start seeing like all their their facades crumble in a way at the beginning mm-hmm. it's like it's the like oh no i know who you are i know who, i don't know who you are what do you mean you know who i am it's the like it's like mr green looks up to to miss peacock he's like i know who you are <laughs> like very, very very weird and then it starts breaking down like it's like well we're all from dc and and everyone else, we all live in dc and then plum's like i don't live in dc mm-hmm. he's like yeah but you work for the government oh that's different it's just like kind of like everyone's on their toes mm-hmm. with everyone in the room because everyone's aware because what we don't know as night's members we don't know the whole blackmail plot yet yeah um and so everyone's on their toes about who's the one doing this does everyone know about like my secrets or whatever and some of these characters don't want these secrets to get out like someone like mrs peacock or miss uh miss white or um carl mustard don't want to get out but miss scarlet's just like cool it's already out there i don't Mm -hmm. care like it's just like let's just get this thing over with um but yeah, you really get to see in that scene the 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 established pace of the movie the blocking of the the camera set placement is is insane but it is again it's all kind of drenched in character the entire Mm -hmm. time this this movie isn't flashy in its technical side but it it does a lot of complex things Mm -hmm. is what i what i see it as um that's what kind of makes it interesting is that because it's not flashy it, all the comp- complexities to it go unnoticed in a way mm-hmm. um and it's just seen as this parody murder mystery or whatever but there's a lot more to it uh with yeah because because you know there's this idea that that comedy especially in the modern age isn't very well directed and so then when you do start having this conversation about directing for comedy someone like edgar wright comes up who's doing like all this yeah. kind of insane amount of work to make the comedy land and and this is this is its own school of directing for comedy this is very yeah. very competent and impressive directing that's never going yeah. to be flashy but it's going to elevate the comedy for sure beyond just yes. lighting everything and letting everybody go i mean it is, it is very much the old school way of shooting it. i mean it's, it reminds me very much of like the ending of the thin man when mm-hmm. they're all at the table well all at the table because every thin man movie ends with with uh uh nick and nora bringing everyone to a dinner party Mm -hmm. and then breaks everything down so you're you're ping-ponging off everyone in the room it's a very similar fashion as this movie yeah well i don't i don't want to seem like we're going chronologically but i do i do want to shout out the next the next scene in the study um because uh, well kind of after you know after after mitch we, we can talk about leaving later and mr body but after mr body is killed uh is when wadsworth kind of starts going through what the blackmail plot was and i think the two people who just absolutely shine in the scene are obviously tim curry who shines in the whole movie but leslie ann warren and and him have such good chemistry in that scene they do they do miss scarlet is just having a blast like yeah because she's the one who's not embarrassed of she anything she i'm not ashamed of what i did um but then it's, she's it's the one. Like, she's always like standing by him and like laughing at everybody else. She's his hype man. She's yeah. his hype man. This, this, They've got this that scene. great line when when when, uh, when Malin Khan is like, he threatened uh, to kill me in public, and she was like, why would he kill you in public? In public? No, <laughs> no he threatened I think in he, public I think she, to kill her. To kill her. <laughs> Are that so? Like Professor Plum, he's like, you know, the thing that you do with your uh, you're not supposed to do your, your patients. Yeah, he did it mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. And it's like they're just they're going back and forth, back and yeah. forth. 
she's she's so much fun in this but that, that scene especially the two of them are having a blast this is quite You've been paying our friend the blackmailer ever since your husband died under, shall we say, mysterious circumstances. Ah! Oh! <gasps> why is that funny? I see. That's why he was lying on his back in his coffin. I didn't kill him. Then why are you paying the blackmailer? I don't want a scandal, do I? We had had a very humiliating public confrontation. He was deranged. He was lunatic. He didn't actually seem to like me very much. He had threatened to kill me in public. Why would he want to kill you in public? I think she meant he threatened in public to kill her. Oh. Was that his final word on the matter? Being killed is pretty final, wouldn't you say? And yet he was the one who died, not you, Mrs. White, not you. What did he do for a living? He was a scientist. Nuclear physics. What was he like? He was always a rather stupidly optimistic man. I mean, I'm afraid it came as a great shock to him when he died, but he, he was found dead at home. His head had been cut off, and so had his... Uh, you know. Well, there, the thing about the, those two, this is, this is jumping way ahead, but there is some sort of, because Miss Scarlet has a lot of connection, like weird connections to to every like male character, mm-hmm. if you outside of Mr. Green, but specifically like Professor Plum and, um, and Colonel Mustard. Like they're like both of them, I think because both of them are so apparent in their advances with her. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of is like, these are just like despicable men the entire time. But like with Wadsworth, there's a weird, especially when you get to the first ending of it, there's like a, a weird sexual tension between them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like especially in the end, may I laugh throughout the movie, but there's a weird sexual tension where like, it, it, it's it's like they're, they're having fun in this game, mm-hmm. it feels like together. And that scene's a big key. And then later when they're like, they're doing the counting, of like the bullets and stuff and it's like it's very like she's always impressed by how like smart wadsworth is mm-hmm. in the end and, and kind of every ending uh and so yeah i think there, there's a weird sexual tension between them <laughs> because he's not advanced he's not making advances on her like the other two mm-hmm. guys are it's kind of the thing yeah what do you have another scene that you like well also kind of part of that scene i just love when when uh after body's killed when eileen brennan drinks the poison and they're all ah! like watching her to yeah see if she's gonna to see die. if she's gonna die <laughs> I had to stop her from screaming. This is, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I do love the like touring the cop around. Yes, the, absolutely. One of the best the, scenes in the film. A great scene. It's just just classic sitcom kind of stuff. And yeah. I love when, when Wadsworth comes out from the phone call and the cop's like, I've seen it all. And he's like, you, you have. You have. Like, There's nothing illegal about any of this. He's like, really? We live yeah, in a free, a free country. country. I didn't know it was that free. <laughs> yeah, Wadsworth has uh, Wadsworth has just uh, Curry has some fantastic line deliveries in this movie. Like, there's all that stuff, but I know one of my favorite is towards the right when you're getting into the third act when they like that's six bodies. This is getting serious. <laughs> like, what, like <laughs> anything wrong? Nope, six bodies, no, just like they're supposed this to be. Or it's the like, or it's the like, you stop shouting. I'm not shouting. All right, I'm shouting. <laughs> But yeah i love the the cops great and i love the yeah this this man's drunk dead drunk he's dead drunk dead right <laughs> <laughs> yeah christopher lloyd's really fun in this is just kind of like a sleaze bag he's got that like he, yeah, he can't he even really help is. himself when he's like yeah we're yeah. on the long black car it's just like dude we're trying to get away with this <laughs> and she's like a limousine limousine yeah he he yeah He's man, yeah, Lloyd, yeah, Lloyd really is a sleaze back in this movie. 
it's the Martin Mole like holding the eyes open of the of the chef or whatever <laughs> in in the other room and and Eileen Brennan's just like almost like in disgust she's having to do this mm-hmm. like she doesn't know what to do with with her hands in the scene um yeah no it's just it's fantastic and then and then kind of going off that to the touring cop and also it's the like to go the dynamic of that you got that kind of stuff of touring the cop that's comedic and then you kind of have the scene pr- right after when he's on the phone call and and there's a whole thing where like i wonder this is my this is gonna be a story question later but like who the who is everyone talking to on these phone calls mm. like, the, like it's like it's like the tour it's like the cop it's the it's the it's the, the motorist um, it's like the motorist or whatever old boss is here yeah everyone's just like somewhat surprised but that'll come well i guess we'll talk about the story questions but i love kind of like it goes from the comedic side but then it kind of gets like i mean you'd say it's kind of parody so but it's this dark and dramatic scene of like when everyone starts getting killed off and these guys one of that gets killed is probably the the kind of spookiest uh scene yeah then you got the singing telegram girl which is just hilarious yeah but it's also just kind of like cold-blooded is the thing like that's the it's like i am a sing and then bam and it's just like that's it and then that that's when that's i I do love that scene too when everybody comes like we we said that line earlier but when everyone's just over it like everyone gets literally all these you're people watching are, everyone just, just like an hour earlier were like so shocked by the first murder yeah. and they all just so desensitized to death at this yeah point. i i the only one that's not it which will make sense in your kind of third inning is i think mr green is still always kind of shocked with yeah. every murder yeah is the thing well i love that uh, I, I can't even remember which ending it is but it might be the one with where mrs peacock is the killer but when she's like with the doorbell rings she's like oh tell them they have to go away they're gonna get killed <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I think that is the. I think it's. Well, it might I think be. that's the one where Scarlet's the killer. Yeah, and it's Scarlet's killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like get him away out, get him out of here. Um, but yeah, it's it's. And yeah, I like the kind of touring like them or or everyone trying to splitting up mm-hmm. is the thing. I, I, again, I, again, the 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 drawing the straws is the one th- or the the kind of like the the fight like the the matches or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the Christopher Lloyd's line of like it's you and me honey bunch yeah. to miss peacock or whatever when they're going down to the buckets like, again like martin mole and, and and uh lloyd are like wanting to get with the vet is the thing yeah. and of course it's like it's mr green that gets with the vet mm-hmm. that they're going up to the to the attic but yeah, i love the kind of separation of all of them and kind of how like when they're separate like, no one trusts one another is the thing yeah. and you're seeing them all kind of like it's like i'm not going up there you're up there or like when when plum and peacock are trying to go down to the basement and they don't want to go down the same t- or like one goes in front of the other because they're afraid the other one's gonna kill them or whatever but you're kind of saying like that the, their trust is being tested mm. in these scenes um but yeah what uh, another scene from you you have i don't think I so mean, i, I want to save kind of getting into the the endings for later okay. on i want to i want to rank the endings because a lot of the critics oh, that's did. interesting i want to see if that's we agree with i will i will say this though with the ending as i said before it's a it's a tour de force from mm-hmm. tim curry all of them all three all three like, I mean, literally literally from the i, I looked at when, when basically they go okay let's recap the night mm-hmm. and it's 28 minutes of just him going off and the the score is just so yeah 
Yeah, it's it's literally like you're watching Jordan in the fourth quarter <laughs> winning a game. Like it's like it's like watching Jordan go like oh for fifteen. Not saying Tim Curry was bad at that, but like, <laughs> just kind of like in the background mm-hmm. the entire time, and then just like last thirty minutes. Let me show you whose game it is. Yeah. That's what this move. That's what this movie is for Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. It's just like I'm in it, and it's just you know Wadsworth has has been such a, a butler. He butles. Yeah, the whole thing, and then he's just like unhinged. I and butles. Then- <laughs> And just and then, and then the idea of physical comedy there, it's just like like throwing Mr. Green down mm-hmm. or like Peacock on that or cha- yeah, Mr. Green getting kind of the brunt of it all. Yeah, uh, when he's like chasing Peacock around and like grabbing ah! at her to make her scream. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Fantastic. But one of us wasn't here. No. 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 Maybe one of us was murdering the cook. Who wasn't here with us? Do you know? I do do while we stood here trying to stop Yvette from panicking one of us could have stayed in the study picked up the dagger run down the hall and stabbed the cook oh how could he risk it we might have seen him running back not if they used this secret passage <gasps> and the murderer ran back down the secret passage to the study is that where it comes out yes look what how did you know? This house belongs to a friend of mine I've known all along. So you could be the murderer. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. If I was the murderer, why would I reveal to you how I did it? So, getting into some on-set life, the, mm-hmm. uh, the cast all quickly fell into a night- tight-knit friendship with many of them reminiscing that they were maybe closer than Lynn would have liked. Uh, Lynn was not <laughs> a fan of ad-libbing at all. This, you know, he was the writer of the film. Like, these are his yeah. lines. Uh, yeah. And so he wanted the cast to adhere strictly to their lines and blocking. And so the more chummy the cast got, the more they kind of wanted to goof more around. More loose they got. Yeah, more loose they yeah, got. Leading yeah, yeah. to some frustration for Lynn. But overall, everyone says a very jovial set. The uh, The billiard room became the essential green room for the cast. They said they had intensive pool tournaments between t- like Basically, anytime they called cut, they were like, all right, let's all head to the pool room. And- yeah, because they, they don't use that set a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that's, one, that's the least used set probably. Yeah. Uh, everyone participated in the pool tournaments except for Leslie Ann Warren and Colleen Camp, who played a vet, because they were in such restrictive war zones that they couldn't war, war such restrictive yeah. wardrobes that they couldn't sit or bend over anything. They had special yeah. leaning boards with armrests constructed for them so that they could recline a little bit between takes. Oh yeah, that's that's a very like old school like Hollywood thing. I mm-hmm. feel like you you kind of brought this up but this is probably not the kind of film you would expect to require a personal trainer for a cast member but curry had to go through intensive fitness regimen to make sure he could handle the taxing physical comedy for the role of wadsworth i literally thought i watched this like man this is a workout for tim curry <laughs> like it really is like he's going everywhere he also had the most difficult lines to deliver he was often tasked with taking huge globs of exposition and making them all funny so mostly cast remembers him as being fairly serious on set as he was spending uh-huh. most of his time off camera trying to remember his next lines. Yep. There was only one ca- cast member who was ever allowed to ad lib and they were allowed to do it once. And that led to Madeline Kahn's famous flames oh, God. on the side of my face moment. <laughs> uh, Lynn encouraged that point because he knew he just kind of had a line that was like, oh yes, I hated her. And he said you know what Flames. i know madeline Kahn can do something better with this and that was probably Flames. about they said that was about the fourth take that she landed on that and everyone was just dying around her flames flames on 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 the side of my face he 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 heaving breaths 
one of my other favorite little moments from this i think it's it's in the second ending i think but there's this moment where when uh wadsworth flips the lights off and she screams and they flips them back on and they cut back to her and she makes this like one more little like scream she's just like yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it's so good well she did she she like also like at one point she does some sort of like face to him I don't know when he accuses her. So anyway, I'll, I'll remember at one point. But yeah, so this she has she has a lot of great reactions in this movie. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It it the it flame flames flames on the side of my face, breathing breath heaving breath. Lynn's biggest concern during shooting was the falling chandelier stunt. He admitted later that he regretted the extra cautious way he approached it. Uh, he, he has kind of all of the cast notably far away from it when it falls, even though it was supposed to be right behind Mustard. And he also cuts away from it in in the scene so that he doesn't have to. You, you don't actually see it kind of hit right behind Martin Mole. Uh-huh. He cuts to like an overhead shot of it falling down. Uh, he was nervous about the safety of the cast, as, like we said, one of the film's producers, John Landis, was currently embroiled in the investigation over the helicopter crash on the set of the Twilight Zone movie. This was right during the very public yeah. trial. And Lynn said later that he should have trusted his stunt coordinator to do his job instead of chickening out on the stunt. And that's the kind of the the scene or the sequence that he regrets the most out of the film was not pulling that off a little bit better. See, I, I, I mean, I don't, I disagree. I think it's fine. I think it works fine. I don't think that's the issue. I, I guess I'm thinking to myself, like, I, it's better to err on the side of caution mm-hmm. than not err on the side of caution is the thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, maybe not the cutting of cutting away from it, sure, but I like the spacing doesn't bother me. Yeah, they just like they just had a gunshot go off. Like they're <laughs> not going to be all next to each other in yeah. this moment. Is the thing logically. Well, if you if you're a fan of this movie and you're listening to the podcast right now, you might have been yelling at your radio that I've been saying four endings throughout when I'm talking about the different <laughs> uh, the different endings to the film. But it was originally written to be four endings, and mm-hmm. sometime during shooting, Lynn decided to cut what would what was to be the fourth ending. And so, if you are not aware of what the fourth ending was, uh, the fourth ending ends with Wadsworth. Or the fourth ending actually starts before he does the recap of everything. Wadsworth accuses Plum and Scarlet of working together to murder everybody. Uh, to which Plum and Scarlet say, well, we whoever did it has the gun. And then you get the moment when Wadsworth pulls the gun out. Uh-huh. Then the FBI forces their way in and they arrest Wadsworth. But then they ask him what went on there. And he proceeds to do most of that same oh, explaining everything in handcuffs this time. But he also explains that he poisoned everyone at dinner. Oh, and, I remember that part. And yeah. they are all going to die unless they find the antidote. And while they are searching for the antidote, he escapes and is seen making his way away from the scene in a car and kind of happy with himself that he has gotten away. And then all the dogs are revealed to be in the backseat of the car and they start attacking. Him. That's, what, that's what it was. That was because I remember that was the payoff. That was the because they plant the dogs earlier. And the dogs never really kind of come back into play. Yeah, there's there's really just that. On. I mean, it, it still kind of works that the dogs are like the reason that Mr. Body can't get out. That you know, the, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. at least do kind of come back in. But yeah, but yeah. So that would he uh, he thought that one uh, was a little too dark, and also just yeah. to save the runtime of the film, he decided to stick with the three. 
that one's dark and it's also the one where like you're getting outside of the place mm -hmm. like you had you had them outside the place and they're coming in and may it bookends that of like them leaving the mansion and it kind of going out of it but yeah that, that is kind of a dark ending and i'm also just thinking like man you're gonna make wads or make tim curry do that entire thing again but in handcuffs <laughs> yeah. yeah it definitely sounds like they cut it before they got to shooting it at all so at least he didn't yeah, have yeah, to go yeah. through all of that uh, one thing they did change in post however was in the mrs peacock ending she in in the shooting of it she got into a shootout with the fbi and was killed and you can actually wow. see in the in the ending that they ended up cutting together you can see when wadsworth comes out to talk to the fbi guy his like gun is still smoking like he's got wow. he's got it held on peacock in the movie version he's got it held on her as she's uh being handcuffed but but yeah. you, you can see a shot in the movie where it's it's smoking after he's he's fired at her wow okay that is that man they they took this it was gonna be a dark comedy yeah. is what it was gonna be if I, they kept all these endings um so in the aftermath the film released on december 13th 1985 and publicity for the movie featured heavily on landis's idea that that you know you have to see every ending you have to figure out which theater has which ending and if you really love the movie you have to see it every one mm -hmm. uh critics weren't fan weren't a fan of this though they were already no. pretty skeptical of a board game adaptation movie and they they were just kind of straight up angry by this by this marketing ploy. <laughs> i sent you the new york times review yeah. and the um roger ebert review and they are both just kind of like that's all they talk about pretty much is they're just like yeah. i hate these multiple endings yeah. In their defense, though, it sounds like the concept was not rolled out success as as successfully as they had planned. The uh -huh. original idea was to indicate each ending with a letter A, B, or C, and each theater could advertise which one that they had. So you could say, "Hey, we have Clue B here," and so that okay. way a true fan could check the newspaper or call a theater and make sure that they weren't coming to sit through S same movie the whole again. movie over again and then get the same ending. But the <laughs> way it was distributed wasn't communicated well to the theaters so some theaters mixed the letters up so people did end up sitting through a c ending a c screening to get the b ending again and some yeah. theaters just like gave up on the letter system altogether and just said yeah we're showing clue and and you no, just I, had no way of knowing which ending you were going to get they're like we're making minimum wage here <laughs> this is too much like that yeah that that's asking a lot it definitely, that's asking it, a it lot for theater people it was definitely never intended to be like hey like a lottery like hey go see it yeah like, yeah, like they, yeah. The, the, the intention was to definitely give you the choice of which ending you're going to see and it just didn't work out that way it's i mean i i think about being at that time of like what the mindset would be like if you're like hey there's three different endings it's very interactive in a weird way mm -hmm. it's like of like hey here's three movies you can go see you can choose what ending you want to go experience well, well and landis also said he kind of envisioned it as you know when everybody got back to the water cooler on monday you're like oh did you see clue this weekend and you said yeah i can't believe miss scarlet did it and then somebody else would go like miss scarlet did it miss peacock did it and it's just this like you know he, he just loved the idea of being able to create that confusion but yeah turns out confusion is not very marketable <laughs> Yeah, Ebert made some, Ebert made valid points. He well, I mean, for at least in, from his perspective, I thought they're valid. Where he's like, um, he's like, it kind of takes away the whole mystery if like it could be any ending is the thing. Mm -hmm. But I actually kind of like that of like because it all works. Because, like all the clues, it all checked works. Out. 
yeah and you never know like who's playing who throughout it mm -hmm. is the thing I, I i their performances all check out mm -hmm. like that's what i think is so fascinating is that like mckean's performance checks out through it all uh scarlet's performance checks out through it all. peacock what i love and we'll may talk about this when you start when we start breaking the innings down a little bit more but like i love the turns of both miss scarlet and peacock mm -hmm. when they pull it. the guns out when they pull a gun it's fantastic turns fantastic turns but on both of them well the damage was already done by the reviews and by the confusion <laughs> so the movie flopped tremendously making only 14.6 million back on its 15 million dollar budget so man a true a true flop yeah uh the studio seeing the backlash to the multiple endings decided to put them all together on the vhs release adding in the title cards that we're all i'm sure very familiar with now yeah which what ebert suggested i think in his review at one point he's like yeah. you should just put them all together and and so then you get the title cards that say you know here's how it could have happened here's another way it could have happened and then with ending c saying but this is how it really happened um the change was too late however and the film failed to take off on its vhs release as well wow uh, Lynn recalls seeing the VHS on a shelf in a video store a few years after its release, along with other famous flops, with a sign reading, Do You Dare to Rent These Movies? Wow. Um, so it wasn't crazy. until the late 80s, like around 88, 89, when Paramount sold the movie off in a package to TV stations that it began to find a cult audience. So it was, it, so many of these cult movies were VHS you know cults and yeah. this was this was truly a tv cult rise yeah um as lynn later noted it it makes for the perfect tv comedy it was made to be pg it's raunchy enough to make teens at home feel like they're watching something you know kind of adult but it didn't require any editing on the part of the tv stations you don't have to cut yeah. anything out um michael mckean yeah. has said once uh he said i have a theory it's a movie that's about adult stuff but you don't need a lot of hands-on experience to know what they're talking about it's about yeah. murder and sex and blackmail but you don't get your hands dirty watching it because it's so silly yeah so after the reruns start running on tv then you start to see vhs sales pick up around like 94 95 mm -hmm. and then it becomes a tv staple and a rental store staple from then on yeah. So, you know, as far as cult movie rises go, this was an even slower one than, yeah. than normal, I feel like. Almost a decade kind of mm -hmm. sounds like. Uh, Curry has later said that the rise of popularity in Clue almost felt like deja vu to Rocky Horror and that he's been invited <laughs> to almost as many midnight costume Clue screenings as those of Rocky Horror. Yeah, I remember when we went to see it, it was like they're like, yeah, we usually have like a, a shadow cast of Clue, but there's some rights with Paramount where they couldn't do the shadow cast. Oh, yeah. They're just able to show it. Mm hmm um yeah i mean well i think yeah curry because and also curry hadn't made at this point he hadn't made a lot of u.s films like he had done rocky horror and then like annie is what it was mm -hmm. until yeah. like a three-year gap first film. basically annie was yeah. 1982 and this was his first american film after annie in 85 and like and i was i was sad side thing i was i think because i was watching this i was listening to some of the annie soundtrack such a it's so weird to me that like, they just have like Burnett peters for one song and she's <laughs> and she's singing backup it's kind of insane and it's it's the easy street with tim curry mm -hmm. it's just like so weird to have those guys those people in this that movie and it's just like Burnett, you're singing backup on this tim curry song on this tim curry song in a john houston musical and a john houston <laughs> mus musical um, based on a sunday uh, newspaper comic newspaper. strip talk about ip that's getting made at that <laughs> point in time he it looks like tim curry's just chasing ip at this point um and, but yeah it's i mean 
it, it begs the question too, talking about that rise, because I'm always fascinated in our kind of modern era of film, is that how do you become a cult classic in our current model mm-hmm. of streaming and things of that nature? Like it's, I don't, I won't say it's more difficult. It's just it's a different, it's a different beast, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. It's like I've, I've I've said this to you before of like looking at um like Netflix's top ten for movies and it's like it's all the stuff you see on TBS a lot of the time. Yeah, it's it's like right now I think I, when watching I looked at it last night because I was thinking about this. The first five were all Netflix stuff and that's actually kind of rare for them. But then the rest were like Forrest Gump or like what you see on like ABC Family or Freeform now. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's also the, the theory behind, you know, I'm sorry to anyone who thinks that Shawshank Redemption is the greatest movie of all time, but there <laughs> there is this like theory that because Shawshank is, or at one point at least was like num- the number one movie on IMDb. Yeah. And it, yeah. it, it, it there's this theory that because Shawshank was in such heavy rotation on cable and that it was a, a very good quality movie to be on heavy rotation on cable, but it was this movie that people could sit down and watch on cable and then feel good about it be like wow that that was a great movie like yeah it it was just kind of like like fed to you and then it gained this you know and it it had famously bombed but then because of cable then it gained this like almost overestimation of how good it was i agree with you (laughs) and i like shawshank redemption but that's one like i know like a lot of people like oh that's one of my favorite movies of all time i'm not hating on that that can be your favorite movie of all time but it is very much like it became the i don't say cliche but became very like like general answer Mm -hmm. for a lot of people was that uh and that's another one you could easily dive into of like how that like because that is like for a movie that became so popular for people and considered so great that like it was such a big failure when Mm -hmm. when it was released even with the flop uh you know since it took so long for it to kind of build popularity up again someone had to go to movie jail and unfortunately that was jonathan lynn uh, he had been he had already lined up while he was working on clue he had lined up the project roxanne he was supposed to oh, wow. direct and he was dropped from roxanne after clue flopped um and it wasn't until 1992 that he would return to american filmmaking although he'd returned triumphantly with uh, the academy award winning film my cousin Vinny. so it all worked out for him talk about two movies that get made that like are i think also cable another cable staple is my cousin Vinny. (laughs) that like those are his two movies and like a guy kind of he he's had a very odd career when looking at his filmography like clue my cousin Vinny, distinguished gentleman sergeant bilko whole nine yards fighting temptations like a lot of weird like a lot of they're all general comedy stuff, but a lot of just odd movies. Mm-hmm. To do two movies that are so well beloved, and the rest are just kind of like, again, v- like VHS, like bargain bin shelf. Yeah, no, right. I actually like. I actually like Distinguished Gentleman just as, and, and even kind of Whole Nine Yards to an extent. Whole Nine Yards, uh, I've only ever seen pieces of on TBS. <laughs> oh, really? Very yeah, very TBS movie. So, getting to our, our what worked section i do want to take a in our what worked what didn't work section i want to take a moment to do what work which ending works and which ending doesn't work so we have three Ooh. endings we've got yeah that a the ending a which is uh uh roger ebert uh 
agreed was the best i think he he mm -hmm. came out on the on their the end of the year wrap up um siskel and ebert both agreed that that was the best ending. a was the a was the best ending so a is in which miss scarlet killed everyone she mm -hmm. was kind of running the blackmail uh using her her escort service to kind of run the blackmail herself and she brought everyone together to dispatch of them and is going to yeah. continue to blackmail uh the people forever yeah, and yeah. it is revealed that wadsworth is an fbi agent who yeah stops her well i i i'll say this i i know i know peacock is the worst ending i will yes. say yeah that's the worst ending um P so yeah so we can we, we'll, we'll do all three so b b is peacock yeah, yeah. and the yeah, idea yeah. that peacock was making yvette work for her is that what no i don't think it does that i think she does it all on her own so yvette was helping miss scarlet okay but miss yeah scarlet. But yvette was not helping no yvette's not having miss that's why it doesn't make sense that miss peacock does it all on her own yeah and the, the but then she like what's her connection with yvette yeah yeah and it's weird because miss peacock again like doesn't have a lot of connections with anyone besides the cook is the thing yeah. so it doesn't make sense of why she would be the one that like i have to get everyone but yes yeah, so, and so the idea is that she she i mean she is kind of the one who is who has the most to lose like she she has committed the most egregious of the of the acts and like you know yeah. she's going to get her husband who's a politician into trouble and then she's caught by the fbi outside yeah. um and then ending c which is also wild to me to think that you could have seen this movie in theaters and not seen madeline khan do the flames on the side <laughs> of my face line Ending three is everyone did it. Each person, except for Mr. Green, was responsible for killing one person. And yeah. Wadsworth was actually Mr. Body the whole time. Yeah. And Mr. Green is an FBI agent who's who was there to investigate. And he shoots and kills Wadsworth. Good shot, man. Very good shot. Um, very good shot. See, so I I like the final third ending the most. I think I mean, take away the Matt, like not just the Madeline comic, because I think that's like that's price of admission right there. Mm -hmm. Um I think it goes in line with the Agatha Christie stuff a little bit. Or I think the, what's known about Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. I don't want I'm trying not to spoil a certain certain <laughs> um Agatha Christie story, but there's one where it's they're all they're like a lot a lot of people are involved, mm -hmm. basically. And this feels like the most like, of course, that would be the ending for this movie. Yeah. It's it's going with that stuff. And it's just so it, that's it why kind I, of makes you, you know, it, it, it that's why they were all brought together to give them all yeah. the option to dispatch of their yeah. own blackmailers and to get all their hands dirty. Yeah. And, and to and to try and thinking like, no, oh, this is how I get clean. This is how I get rid of blackmails to get rid of everyone here. Mm -hmm. I do think I do think all endings pose a lot of questions. <laughs> Of how they do certain things, even the ones that I like. So I would say, ranking wise, I think it's the like the 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 traditional ending that's considered the ending now. Then Miss Scarlet, budged a smidge below, and then Peacock is yeah. rock bottom. Yeah, because because Leslie Ann Warren is still having so much fun. It's playing still the bad so guy. much. <laughs> it's so amazing. And yeah, it's I think it's just because yeah, it's like she's so great in that. But it's the everything else in the other one is kind of like she's kind of the again I, I said and her ending it's so fun seeing her and tim curry again with this weird sexual tension between mm -hmm. them and then the other one's just fun because like everyone gets their comeuppance in a way mm -hmm. um and, McKean, and it's that kind of nice little twist that mckean 
is like, oh no, I've I told you I didn't do told it. Told you I like didn't that. do it. <laughs> yeah, because he has the I recurring just, it, for anyone who's didn't pick up on it throughout the movie. He keeps anytime a murder happens, he goes, I didn't do it. I do it. And, and and he's the one that like also comes out about his um what he's being blackmailed for mm-hmm. very early on. Like he he does he's like, oh, I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm a homosexual. Like that's basically what he says. I'm not ashamed, game. but I will lose ashamed. my job. Oh. <laughs> This is 1954, so there you go. Um, but yeah, that's how I rank him. How would you would you rank him the same way? Or would you rank him? I agree. Okay. I think you know, obviously, having the flames uh, bit in the last one is is a big help. But yeah, and, <laughs> and, I, and I I like I like Tim Curry getting to ham it up a little bit as a bad guy in that one. Like I yeah. said, I, I really love the nobody's nobody's shot. called them. <laughs> good shot, man. Very good shot. <laughs> and My- michael mckean getting to kind of cap it off I-, I i do i read one article that was kind of talking about like how how well or poorly the movie aged and they were like you know it does props to the movie like it definitely plays f- even for an 80s comedy like it's not making fun of his character for being gay it's making fun of kind of the other the, the other men the two other yeah. men who we established are kind of chauvinist pigs in this for being uncomfortable around him you have that moment where kind of christopher lloyd like shifts away from him as soon as he says that he's gay uh, yeah. and so then that that article was like well i really wish that they didn't like revert back on that at the end which i get yeah. but i but i do like the idea of giving him agency at the end because he has been kind of the most helpless person throughout the movie yeah but what do you want to go what else works besides yeah what else works here i mean the cast works yes. i think i think i think really the cast is is kind of phenomenal again it's like it's a it's just a great kind of group of comedy actors is mm-hmm. the thing um and it's not you know it's not that especially at this time in the 80s you had you had like the snl ensemble and you had you had these groups of comedians that were working together and yeah kind of, the 80s were almost kind of dominated by that you had it was like yeah. the snl group or the monty python group and this is just like a completely original grouping of, yeah. of comedic talent or it's like one big star mm-hmm. is the thing and this is like kind of like here's a kind of here's a lot of supporting people basically mm-hmm. is what it is in this movie um which i like so uh no again we talked we talked about the blocking talk about the pace of it all um the i think that the love for the genre is the thing mm-hmm. the love for this kind of murder mystery we talked about the parody movies how it's the it's the love of the genre that kind of carries the movie through and i think that's present here yeah i think it does it very well I also love the production design of it with the house. Mm-hmm. Like that they built that entire thing. I think it's great. Again, it's, it's, it's a fun, it's just a fun, fun film. At the end of the day, the tone's fantastic. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I agree. I agree with absolutely everything that you said. And, and I think it's the mix of comedy is what makes it so mm-hmm. rewatchable. You know, like I, the, the physical comedy, the, the, you, you know, when I was eight, I didn't get some of those asides. That, yeah. that you know the <laughs> one of the dumb colonel mustard quoting roger kipling and then kind of turning to miss scarlet and saying kipling and she says oh i'll eat oh thank you i'll eat anything like thinking that he's he's offering <laughs> like whatever the the food is on the plate um you know just kind of dumb dumb not dumb but like kind of the the witty stuff like that all the, yeah. the, the little asides are um yeah it's the throwaway jokes there the, the like the memorable ones yeah but then uh, also you know at a certain point watching it for the physical comedy and like you said on the fifth or sixth or seventh rewatch just going like how the hell does tim curry pull this off in this movie (laughs) 
because it really because the interesting like and i don't want to tip my hand here with the awards that much we'll talk about there but like it's like he's in the movie and like he's i don't say he's coasting but he's in the movie he's mm-hmm. he's the exposition guy he's provided he's kind of carrying you through but then that thir- that those last 30 minutes is just it's just incredible mm-hmm. to watch to watch him do all that yeah um so what doesn't work uh leaving does yes. not work yes <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it was Eber that said like it was one of is him or Jant Maslin that said like he looks for the part he looks great for the part but when he starts speaking it's it's bad yeah it just immediately pulls you out of it especially in it the does. way that he comes in and you're you're already like yeah. the chemistry's flowing between everyone else he just kind of brings it to like a screeching halt for ten minutes he does. there he does and you're just like oh man can't he just die really quickly yeah it's kind of the thing. Yeah. And, and, and i think he also because that the thing him because his performance isn't that good because my question is like how is he a butler is the <laughs> one thing i think it's like how is he a butler to wadsworth mm-hmm. I, he doesn't seem like a butler to me no. like he seems he, he seems like a dude he got they grabbed off the street is what it feels like <laughs> like so no offense to leaving i think you're getting flash dance <laughs> but here here i don't think I don't I don't think you work here. Yeah. I don't think you work here. Just doesn't fit in with this group. I don't think he attended the the screening when they screened his girl Friday. I don't think he got yeah. that memo. <laughs> um it's interesting. One of the other things in that article that was talking about like what hasn't aged well was they they were thinking that that uh Mrs. Peacock is treated in like a very misogynistic in way misogynistic way i, I read that and yeah, i yeah. i don't know if i agree with that I, I i my read of it i mean you're obviously allowed to read a film however you want but my read of it is she's she's the only one there who's old money and yeah. my read of it has always been like she's the stuffy one everyone else there is is kind yeah. of younger and and you know the 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 fainting and the screaming all the time I, i've never read that as like oh yeah. a weak woman i've always read it as like oh this like high class person is like not she's she's not cut out for this because she's also like everyone else is kind of pretty like, you know, kind of dirty secrets, and and her yeah. secret is 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 a white collar secret for sure. Yeah, is 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 that she is of money that has no money, mm-hmm. and she wants to to keep up appearance that she still has money is the thing. And, and that's been a lot of movies. Bribe. Yeah, that's a lot of movies that do that. Of like, hey, we've actually ran out of money, but the fortune's gone. We have to keep up appearances, basically. So that all like like. That's the, the big mystery about like, how Colonel Mustard gets his money, and then it's kind of come up as oh, he was a war profiteer who did did stuff like uh, uh, nefarious acts to get um, to get money. And she's like, she's just she's a she's a senator's wife. Is mm-hmm. the thing. Okay. Anything else that 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 doesn't work? I mean, it's my own story questions, but there, there there's a few like questionable, like I guess plot moments, and I think it's more just like me wondering. Who who are people talking to a lot of the time? Mm-hmm. I think a one big one is that who who is a vet think she's talking to when she's going to the billiard room? Oh yeah, because she's like I think that works best like, for the Scarlet version, but not really for any of the rest. Anyone of them. else? Well, but 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 the thing is, she goes she's talking to someone, and then it's like, oh, it's you, is mm-hmm. what she says. Which I go, oh, who did she think she was talking to? Because it's Scarlet that kills her. Maybe that works uh, more for the ending of the c ending then if she's working because that's because 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 that's is madeline khan that kills her yeah, or no that, that's that's why the, the i hated her so much flames. yeah so uh, yeah so yeah that that probably that, works, it works best more for that because she thinks she's talking to wadsworth because she thinks she's working for him yeah and then it's actually 
and that's the thing. So I, it would, yeah. So it makes sense too of like she and maybe she's talking to Wadsworth too the entire time, which who she thought she was talking to, mm-hmm. even with the Miss Scarlet one. But that doesn't make sense because I think she's like again, it's, she's setting it up with Miss Scarlet. She wouldn't be surprised if she was there. Mm-hmm. So that was the one that was like that kind of bumped me. I was like, who's she talking to? And then again, kind of the uh the questions of like, and again, this will go up in story questions, but like. Who are these kind of people on the phone talking to? <laughs> and like, was it actually Jake or Hoover? Uh, we'll go into that later. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the only thing that that bumps me. Why do you think it's run it's, by a man called Hoover? Yeah. Um, okay, a uh, little bit of alternate universe cast. Uh huh. So I told you Wadsworth kind of bumped around a little bit. Uh, Lynn originally wrote the role of Wadsworth for Leonard Rossiter, who appeared in Oliver and Barry Lyndon um lynn and rosser had worked together on several comedic stage plays and he was a big fan of his work but rosser actually died of a heart attack while acting in a play that lynn was directing just before the casting for this film started so wow lynn's next idea was rowan atkinson who was a breakout in england on the tv series black adder but when he brought him up no one on the american creative team had heard of him so lynn actually had atkinson film a reel for the role and submitted wow. it to the producers, but Lynn says he doesn't think anybody, any of the watched producers, it. even watched the reel that he gave him. So that's when they came back and said, "Like, can you give us a name?" And he said, "Well, what about Tim Curry?" Tim Curry. And it's it's funny you say Ron Atkinson because I I saw him. I was like I was like, man, if this was the '90s or 2000s, he'd be perfect mm-hmm. for Wadsworth. He, he hadn't done Bean yet. He had just done Black yeah. Adder, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh a vet was was an interesting role that that was not one that they had you know somebody in mind for and so jennifer jason lee demi moore and madonna were all considered to play the role oh wow interesting i it's it's demi moore keeps popping up in a lot of these if you <laughs> notice we just the adrian line episode where it's like demi moore almost up, up for flash dance or whatever i don't know i think i think it works that we kind of don't like we don't like know her does that make like it's, it's like mm-hmm. colin camp is an actress who's in a lot of stuff but like she again i think it's kind of good that there's not like again stars in this movie as we're about to recast it with possibly stars um <laughs> but it's it's it, i think for the i think it just that that gives it a little bit more longevity i guess that the the, the people aren't as known yeah so just a couple of film facts. Um, although they don't dress in the corresponding colors to their game pieces in the movie, the all the characters do drive cars that are the same. All of their cars are the same colors as oh, their, yeah. their little game pieces when they're first driving up. Also speaking of the game, the first floor of the film set is perfectly constructed to match the Clue game board, including the secret passages and where they lead <laughs> uh, to the different rooms. And another another clue game trivia. Uh, the teams made up by drawing sticks when they are investigating the house correspond to the order in which the characters take their turn in the game because it always starts with Mrs. White and then goes clockwise. So oh, wow. the, 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 the team ups are the same. Well, Easter eggs there for, yeah. for before, before Easter eggs really hit the... <laughs> and this is this is just clue trivia, but I turned this up during my um, research, so I thought it was interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Green in the American board game version of Clue was changed from the British Cluedo version in which he is Reverend Green. I read that. I read that. It doesn't necessarily oh. work for <laughs> Christopher oh, Ward's interpretation of it. 
No, no um, Michael, Michael McKean's interpretation of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Michael so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Poison, which is mentioned once in the movie when Mrs. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Peacock thinks she's poisoned and, and would have played, you know, obviously a big part in the fourth ending, was a method of murder in the original release of the board game, but had been removed for years by the time the movie was made. Interesting. And then this is not clue trivia. This is movie trivia. But all three of the leading actresses in this film were Academy Award nominees for supporting actress. Madeline Kahn was... Two-time oh, yeah. nominee for Blazing Saddles and Paper Moon. Eileen Brennan for Private Benjamin. And Leslie Ann Warren, like we said before, for Victor Victoria. Oh, Eileen Brennan wasn't nominated for Last Picture Show, I guess. I thought mm-hmm. she was for some reason. Okay, I guess, yeah, I guess she's not a big enough role. But wow. um, yeah, hers, hers was for, for Private Benjamin in 81, so right before her car wreck. Yeah, it's the Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Um, okay, we, we already kind of did story questions, but do you have... Um. Yeah, I have one more. So, like, who's who's michael mckean's source like like because in the in the in the other two endings and even when he's the not third, when he's not the fbi it, agent yeah who, even who even that one him. it's like it's like why is like it's like how does how does either wadsworth or whoever get information on him because that 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 person never revealed is mm-hmm. the thing yeah. um so how did they get information on him in any of the endings um so it is i guess it is just true in every ending that he didn't do it yeah (laughs) but he just but but how but how like whoever found out that information on him Mm -hmm. who are they because they're never in any of this that's a good question oh how 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 the how the how how did malincon's first husband die did it say Uh, okay he he wasn't a very good illusionist never said he was a very good illusionist (laughs) (laughs) do you have any questions besides that I don't think so. I think that. Yeah, I, I think it's just the big one is, is Milo McKean's character. Is mm-hmm. is the kind of like who who's the source for all that, um, as the overall thing, and then the more specific like who they who do they think they're talking to in that moment? Was it actually Jagger Hoover that called up the the uh, the mansion? And if so, that's a stupid thing to do by Jagger <laughs> Hoover. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that call from Jagger Hoover was for me. It's like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, don't 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 declare yourself as Jagger Hoover when you're calling to check on your undercover operation. Yeah, it's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess also you. if he wasn't if he was an FBI undercover agent, how did he get himself in, 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 into in exactly. invitation? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then even that is that what was the conversation like when Tim Curry took the phone that third ending where he's like who is this like mm. talking like h- how is he talking to jagger hoover like is he just like is the first two part he's like being like oh yeah everything's going well jay mm-hmm. and the third one's just like who are you type thing <laughs> you, you know what i mean it's like it's like how's that conversation play out yeah that's that's the main stuff that's that's okay. my main ones all right uh so for awards this is gonna be an interesting one uh be it yeah. straight award is limited scenes so I think you're talking. I think you're talking the the, the staff leaving and any of the uh, any of the the like blackmail blackmail support staff that show yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so th- does a vet count in that? In I think that? a vet counts in that. Yeah, I don't think she quite fits into the full ensemble. Okay. Um. Okay, I'm gonna say two P. Oh, so I, I like a vet in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Colleen Camp. One that I just always remember uh is jane uh wideland as a singing telegram girl 
because she's the singer from the go-go's is what it is mm. or, or or one of the founders of the go-go's um and i just for one brief scene i will always remember the that like whole moment essentially mm-hmm. so those those are kind of my top two who who do you my, have my pick is the cop the 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 Bill exchange Henderson? the exchange with with uh wadsworth when he comes back out it's just so good okay okay it's a free country i didn't know it was that free even though like and murder <laughs> Mur- and that's a good bit when he's like he's like murder. Said that so you'd let me out actually yeah it's like oh <laughs> the bodies not there the bodies what bodies nobody okay okay i i can i'll i'll go with that he was he was a big uh he was a big uh jazz musician it looks like oh wow bill henderson yeah he, a lot he of musicians passed, in this supporting he, cast for some reason pa- yeah he passed away in 2016 at the age of 90 years old wow was a jazz musician and ni- started in 1952 in chicago and then got into acting in the 70s and did a bunch of richard pryor movies he's i remember him in continental divide he's a train conductor in continental divide with john oh, belushi okay um oh yeah he's in city slickers he's the doc he's the doctor i think with his son and city slickers uh Ooh. yeah he, he's been, he was in a lot of stuff maverick fletch as a tons of tv show jefferson's good times like he was very much in that kind of like 70s era of television okay i i will i will go with bill henderson all right officer you're too late i've seen it all you have I can explain everything. You don't have to. I don't. Don't worry. There's nothing illegal about any of this. Are you sure? Of course. This is America. I see. It's a free country. Don't you know that? I didn't know it was that free. May I use your phone now? Certainly. Now on to the Annie Potts X Factor Award for the supporting actor or actress that is the most memorable. (laughs) I think that's everybody. I think everyone is supporting everyone. I think everyone's supporting too. I agree. But I think Tim Curry, because the ending is going to outweigh everyone just a tad. Yes. Yeah. Um. So I think everyone, I think everyone's being blackmailed. Yeah. Is supporting. Agreed. Um. Which that that says to me, I think it's between two people, and that's Leslie Ann Warren and Madeline Kahn. I I agree. Um. The question is, who edges out the the other? You know, I, I I hate to say this because I love this person, uh, but I think it's Leslie Ann Warren. I think Malin Khan is. I think Malin Khan is is a little short of a little underused in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think and she yeah. she has some some really great moments, but there is kind of in the middle part of the movie she does kind of disappear into yeah. the group, and and Leslie Ann Warren is just having a blast. Well, I think I think to go with that, I think what happens in the middle part is that they don't spend a lot of time with Madeline Kahn and Wadsworth together, Mm -hmm. but they spend a lot of time with Miss Scarlet and Colonel Mustard together Mm -hmm. because they're finding the secret passageways. They're doing this They're It's the ballroom sequence when like, you don't know like uh, uh, the windows, the ones behind the curtain. So you have a little bit more time with them. So I think in terms of, screen time and in terms of just moments leslie and warren has it 
uh malincon i think has again has the one of the best lines in the movie with yeah. the and she, with she's the got flames. like the, I, I love the moment when they are searching the room separately where she's just like are you here I'm, yeah i'm coming for you yeah i here's the thing i i think let's go with this i think Malin khan is the best in the movie that has nothing to play off of mm-hmm. and she's, she's Warren's, playing this like really buttoned up you know yeah staunch widow character who is revealed to be a black widow but that's yeah that's kind of always the humor of her character is when she lets loose because she is yeah. presented as this kind of dour woman in mourning but is she really in mourning whereas miss scarlet is is kind of let she's she's the one who's letting loose from the start because she has no yeah. shame yeah because i think when, when you think about the movie it's between them two like when i think back of like most memorable it's like these two are tim curry mm-hmm. but i think also i think too what elevates warren is the is her ending mm-hmm. is the thing because she yeah. gets a little more time to chew up the scenery brilliantly worked out wadsworth i congratulate you me too shut up now there's one thing i don't understand one thing why did you do it half of washington knows what kind of business you run you were in no real danger the whole town would be implicated if you were exposed i don't think they know my real business my business is secrets, and a vet found them out for me. The secrets of Senator Peacock's defense committee, of Colonel Mustard's fusion bomb, Professor Plum's UN contacts, and the work of your husband, a nuclear physicist. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist, and I'm going to sell my secrets, your secrets, to the highest bidder. All right, so Leslie Ann Warren wins the X Factor Award, which leads us to the Gene Hackman MVP Award. And though Jonathan Lynn does a fantastic job as a first-time director, (laughs) first-time feature film writer, I think you and I are in agreement that Tim Curry is the MVP of this film. If he doesn't have that third act thing, there's a good argument that it's Jonathan Lynn but that third act thing you're just you're watching again it's you're watching just Mario jordan go off like you're mm-hmm. watching you're watching him hit 63 points well no they lose that game um but you're watching you're watching him uh you just watch him go off it's the thing you're just watching yep. this this man literally run, run throughout this entire set out of breath delivering like because delivering lines at such a rapid pace elaborate lines elaborate blocking that when they go back into the study and he's like reenacting where all the bodies are and he's on the ground and he's knocking other people to the ground and yeah it's it's insane yeah no i think yeah i think he's i think he's fantastic uh in this so i think it's yeah it's 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 tim curry i think it's tim curry's movie great i think he steals it and i introduced mrs white to colonel mustard hello hello and i noticed that mrs white and yvette flinched then there was a rumble of thunder and a crash of lightning and to make a long story short too late one by one you all arrived and then the gordon was struck by the cook and we went into the dining room and mrs peacock sat here and professor plum sat here and mrs white sat here and mr green miss scarlet colonel mustard this chair was vacant Anyway, we all revealed we'd all received a letter, and you'd had a letter, and you'd had a letter, and you'd had a letter. Get out of it! The point is, blackmail. All this came out after dinner in the study. You're right. 
Mr. Green stood here. And Mr. Peacock here. And Miss Scarlet here. And Professor Plum here. And Colonel Mustard. And Mrs. White. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And Mr. Body went to get his surprise packages from the hall. And you all open your presents. Mr. Body switched out the lights. Okay. This is one I, I was very excited about. Going to our <laughs> final questions. If you there there was word of a clue remake and like there's been several yeah so um, yeah like 2020 like beginning of 2020 they were like all right it's finally happening we're making a clue movie and then COVID happened i haven't heard a single word about it since but uh-huh brandon if you were making the clue remake that may or may not happen who who are you casting who are you going for okay so i'm gonna list the people off that they 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 had been attached to it previously that one he's actually thought about and forgot that he was attached to it and that was jason bateman mm-hmm. um i wasn't sure who he would play but i like jason bateman um i do think game night has some has some clue dna has some in clue. It sure. yeah I, I agree uh and the other one they had was ryan reynolds those are the two that they that were attached to it um gore verbinski was attached to produce and direct it at one point um i mean and, the guy can do a set piece i'd love yeah. to see him do a comedic set piece yeah and then it was uh rit reese and paul wernick who were deadpool writers mm-hmm. um that were up to do it the ryan reynolds version and then Bateman was going to do it after that. I don't know who's going to be writing it. And then 2020, yeah, it was James Bobbin who mm-hmm. who did um, Muppets. Muppets and Alice Looking Glass and Dora and the Lost City of Gold was going to do a Clue uh, remake. So here's here's my cast. And and I know you probably have some ideas because you've you've spent I, I, more I've time with this, this movie. I, I, I also some sometimes sometimes when I write the script, I just kind of let you handle the cast. I've got I've got my cast on this. <laughs> okay, one. okay. So I have from Mr. Body, Yvette, and then all the main people. Okay. Okay. So we go Mr. Body and upwards, basically. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Uh Mr. Body, I have uh uh Hank Azaria. Okay. All right. That'd be fun. Yeah uh for yvette do you have anyone for mr body by the way i didn't do i didn't do body or Yvette. yeah so okay Yvette, i have uh uh jane levy okay as a vet um some days i have multiple coming up so mrs what or who do you want me who do you want next uh um, everyone let's do it in order of arrival to the house so miss peacock miss peacock okay i have two people for this okay uh i have emma thompson mm-hmm. or allison janney oh okay big allison janney fan do you have a person a third person in this in this race well I, I all of mine are going to be i think drastically different from yours because i i put mine together as kind of a like kind of an alt comedy okay grouping and so That's it's fine. a lot of people who aren't necessarily established actors but are kind of on the on the outskirts of comedy but this is probably probably my biggest star is i had kate mckinnon down for miss peacock okay so you, you'd age her up is the thing yes well and i'm also going a younger with most of the rest of the cast as well copy so. that copy that okay so who, who are we picking or, or are we just gonna have our separate clue well i think we're mistakes? just uh, mine mine operates on a very entire on okay. a very different okay. level than so we're just gonna first, have so. we're kind of have separate we're gonna have separate yeah. basically two two, two pitches yeah okay so i'll so if i give you okay let's look at this you'll have yours mm-hmm. if i give you two options you pick which of the two you like best yeah, i, I okay. like allison janney for that one okay, allison janney for miss peacock okay cool who do you well he, she's not the first one in the house carl mustard is the first one in the house is the thing okay Colonel <laughs> mustard jump, okay um and then this white so carl mustard that's fine carl mustard i have 
uh, Brian Cranston. Okay. Or I have uh, Cedric the Entertainer is who I have for Colonel Mustard. Oh, okay. One of the two. Good old Cedric. Um, I I would go Cranston just because I really want to get him back into like okay. Malcolm in the comedy. Middle level. Uh, uh, big comedy. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, we'll do Miss White. Okay. We're gonna have two people here. Uh, just because I've seen her in a few things of late, and I think she is fantastic and kind of eats at the scenery. I have Elizabeth Olsen for Miss White. Okay. Yeah, I think she'd have fun with it. Uh, and then I have Tessa Thompson for Miss White. Oh, okay. I would be. I would really like to see both of those. They'd go Same. in very different directions. Yes. I'm having a tough time picking that one. That's fine. You can, okay. We, 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 it's one of those two. One of yeah. those two. They're good. They're both good picks. You at home can decide. Um, okay. Who is your Colonel Mustard? And who is your Mrs. White? All right. My Colonel Mustard. I had. Uh, you know, already. A, we're soon to see him with a military record in uh upcoming top gun maverick but glenn powell is is my colonel muster of course i was going through the list of stuff to send out to to our graphic designer to these posters and i was like wow we 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 talked about glenn powell a lot yes I am, lot. I am going to single-handedly <laughs> hypothetically make glenn powell a superstar okay glenn powell's colonel mustard who's your mrs white for my Mrs. White, I had uh, Patty Harrison. I don't know if you even know who that is. She's a comedian. She's a very, very weird comedian. But um, she's, she's done like Tim uh, Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave. Um, she did that movie uh, with Ed Helms in Sundance like two years ago. I don't know. See, where don't she was like his surrogate. He was a single dad and she was his surrogate mother. But Is that to get together together is what it is? Yes. Yeah. No, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this. Oh, she's in Simple Favor. She's, she's also recently in the, no. the the Lost City, which I still haven't seen yet, I just, but I know I just, she was in it. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, she's, I think she's very camp. She's very alt comedy, and which is the direction that my my version of this is going. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. I need to watch her stuff. I can't. I can't comment yet. But we'll go with it. Um, it's, my 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 pitch is going in the is similar atmosphere to the 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 series search party that's that's I, just gotcha. what i'm trying to to build yeah. and i'm just going i'm going full stars here it's like <laughs> um so uh mr green you want mr green next yes, let's do mr green i have i have will forte as mr green okay i'd love that yeah that's that is spot on okay who do you yeah. have for mr green i have a uh, john early from from the series you search, party. search party. <laughs> okay that's fair mm-hmm. let's do uh uh miss scarlet okay miss scarlet is i've got a really obscure pick so okay i i went to raji p henson for miss scarlet Ooh, i like that she's got she's got the she's got the the dynamism for it yeah um i went with the uh, z-way i don't know if you know who z-way is <laughs> these picks Thomas. she's a uh, she's a comedian who has a show called z-way on showtime uh uh-huh. that she like writes and directs and produces and stars in and um how, how do you how, how do you spell her z-i-w-e z-i-w-e okay. i highly recommend that show it's a it's a kind of like weird take on a political comedy show but it's oh, kind it was... of making fun of 
political comedy show. Oh, is this the, was this the Chet Hanks thing? Yes, Chet Hanks was recently on okay. on season two. Yes. Okay. Yes, I know of it. But she she just always I think she popped into my mind because she always has these like very elaborate costumes on her show. But I think she could she could definitely. You are going very very alt comedy with this. Okay. Yes. Yes. And mine is straight to streaming. Nobody is That's distributing fine. this movie. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> HBO Max. <laughs> um uh i knew professor plum professor plum i have uh uh bill Hader. perfect oh god bill Hader and, and will forte oh man <laughs> love that um i have john reynolds from search party <laughs> 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 but you gotta admit that'd be perfect yeah no it would it would um okay <laughs> um well yeah this this yeah you're just gonna on hbo max i mean both these probably go on hbo max in this in our current model of of everything paramount, you'd, Param- you'd oh, paramount. paramount oh yeah it's paramount yeah, yeah yeah okay my my final one i i don't know he might be a little too old mm-hmm. but he's my pick and because i don't I, i'm not sure if he can do he'd have to do i don't know if he could do the full running tim curry thing in the third act but i think he could do a lot of this and that's hugh grant oh okay I, I think that. Hugh Grant would be perfect uh, for this. My backup was Jude Law. Oh, wow. Okay. Very different. Very yes. different. But Hugh Grant, I feel like I could see, because I, I think Hugh Grant would make sense to be like the but, the butler, and then he had that nice twist of him actually being mm, a killer. FBI agent or, or a murderer. Or a killer. Depending I on think, which yeah, I think he'd be both. I think he'd be perfect for both. Yeah. Um, the only question is the 30 minute run run around the mansion yes. I think you'd have to do this in a different way for Hugh he's a little yeah. bit older I don't and know if some, it's some, some uh, creative editing yeah he's he, I, yeah, I don't know if his cardio is up to it as much I'm not entirely sure um, but I think he'd be perfect who, who is your who is your Wadsworth <laughs> uh, my pick for Wadsworth is Matt Barry from the uh, what we do in the shadows series He's also from like a, an insane amount of British sitcoms, uh, including the Mighty Boosh. Oh yeah, and um, Snuffbox. And I did think about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I did think about Taika for one of the. Uh, I I thought about what? Taika for Wadsworth. I did so when did I was I. brainstorming. So I. I was like, yeah. Taika could do Wadsworth as well. Yeah, I think Taika's up there too. Okay. My other one, the the three I I was brainstorming for Wadsworth was was Taika, Matt Berry, and Richard uh, Aiati. Um, okay so but yeah that's that's my pitch very okay. very yeah. off ball yours i would i would absolutely watch both of them but they would go in completely <laughs> different directions I, I was i think i was pitching it as kind of like a postmodern take on the murder, murder mystery on, on on clue though like because you, you're yeah. doing all these kind of like alt comedy people um yeah but yeah i love both of those pitches and i was thinking like let's do knives out basically but yeah. with with yeah. clue I, I, I would 100 percent watch watch that as well okay um okay so does this film fit with any other genres yeah i mean we talked about we talked about this that's why i almost covered it once or twice before i think of uh it's a dan it's like one day 24 hour movie yeah it's a 24 hour movie um it's a parody movie as well Mm -hmm. um it's a it's a murder mystery movie as we've talked about it's a parody of murder mysteries but it also functions as a murder mystery is there anything else i'm missing here um you know it could you you know if i was putting together a letterbox list of mccarthyism movies i might throw it in there <laughs> movies that take on mccarthyism because yeah i read like it's like the uh um the the uh the cook is like watching the mccarthy trials mm-hmm. 
yeah. when she's cooking at one point. Yeah. yeah. Communism was just a red herring. It was. And I remember Ebert, Ebert I saw he was upset that, that line was repeated three times in the movie. <laughs> yeah, because he watched all the endings. That was in his review. He's like, I had to watch all the endings. I'm like, okay, well, not yeah. everyone will watch all the endings. Yeah. They use this line. You know, when they put times. them all together in home video. Yeah. Um, so, final question How does this film fit within our contained uh movie genre that we've been discussing this month yeah well it's all again it's all one location it's uh i think also the paranoia is kind of builds up as the killings mount up and yeah the one, yeah because war- you've got this you know that they, they, they kind of bring you do have that building idea that like oh my gosh one of us did this like it starts yeah. with when when wadsworth is just kind of like i'll lock all these weapons up and they're like wait but who gets the key to the weapons and he's like me because i know i'm not the killer and they're like yeah but how do we know you're not the killer and that's when they all go like oh shoot yeah i'm the only one who knows that i'm not the murderer and any literally anyone else could be them yeah and that's again that's the the trustworthy aspect of it when they're all splitting up and they don't trust any of each other it's the mustard and scarlet trying to get to the bar area at the same time or whatever mm-hmm. they don't trust each other but yeah i think there's that um again we've talked about how they shoot this it's a very it, it's it's it, they make this film cinematic without feeling stagnant um or closed off um and i think too the these characters aren't allowed to leave because the murders are happening and i think what the, the idea of the the cops are showing up we're building towards this moment of the cops showing up mm-hmm. and that's that added fuel like we can't leave because if we leave they'll just wadsworth will turn us in and like they could they if i if i if i leave they could form this around that I did it or something if I leave. So everyone has to stay and figure it out uh, and figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what kind of makes it this contained movie. Um, all those kind of factors we've discussed this month. It's all there. I think this is, this is a, a fun one to end on because we talked about yeah. kind of the comedy of it. We talked about the paranoia of it. And like we said, we've, we've production design and blocking. This has been, this has been an interesting, this has been one of the genres we've covered where like, the actual filmmaking of it is very consistent. Um, yeah. The, the things that you really have to focus on to work within this genre are easy to point out. And, you know, I'm not saying production design isn't important for, for any other movie, but like we were talking about, you know, with this one, you had to build the house to the specifications of the game board. Game, and, and, yeah. And in uh, Mother, the house was built to the human brain. And, and, and you know, obviously it's just the insane production design of Rear Window. It's just like, we are only going to be seeing this set for the whole yeah. movie. So we have to put absolutely everything. Or it's, or it's, I mean, weirdly it's clerks. It's like, we are only seeing the set. So we're going to spend so much time. Yeah, this is all we, we can have, afford. So we have no money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, if you go like to 12 angry men of how they shoot that, um, I mean the shining another example mm-hmm. of, uh, of that. And that, I guess that kind of leads into our, our, unless we're, unless you have anything else to say about clue, but nope. our final, our final genre questions of the month, is mm-hmm. is uh what are some movies what are some from your favorite favorite films out of this genre that we didn't discuss this month we didn't didn't cover in an episode um one that i one that i absolutely love and i try and recommend to a lot of people is wait until dark um yeah. fantastic it, film. as far as like the paranoia goes it is a movie i saw i think we've talked about it on the podcast before but mm-hmm. i i watched it on turner classic movies at a point in my life where my mom was i was interested in turner classic movies and i was very young and my mom was like i can let him watch turner classic movies like what what is he gonna see bad on yeah. like tcm and that movie scared the hell out of me because <laughs> the tension and the paranoia is all done so well so if anyone's not familiar it's 
you know if you're a big I, so many times i talk to people who are like audrey hepburn fans and i'm like oh, yeah I'm, but I no one talks about dark, dark. They, yeah. they have no idea that audrey hepburn was in like basically a horror movie um yeah. But yeah it's about audrey hepburn plays a blind woman whose husband gets caught up in this drug trafficking uh, gang basically and he's killed she finds out that he's killed and basically realizes that all of the men who killed her husband are, are coming to kill her and yeah she has very little time to prepare yeah and it is it is wild it is, it is a fantastic movie no it is I, that was one i remember so i it was hard to find on dvd at one point some mm-hmm. various sites where i went till dark if we ever cover it i'll repeat it but I found that movie. It was like in, I found it like a DVD store in new Orleans. I was mm-hmm. like a school trip and I couldn't find that movie anywhere. And I found it and I was trying to buy it and everyone hated me because they had to wait for me to buy this movie. <laughs> and, and this new Orleans place, it was like all their stuff was in like folders. Mm-hmm. So like you ha- so basically you had the case outside, but they had to go in the back and find the di- disc in the case mm-hmm. and they could not find the movie. And we're just waiting for like 20 minutes for them to find this movie and everyone's like can we just please leave why do you need this movie and i was like but i can't find it anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was just it was a very rare duty at the time and they finally found it and that's how i have my wait until dark dvds yeah. because of this random new orleans dvd shop yeah that no nice. longer exists yeah and and the other one i'll say for comedy is um arsenic and old lace i think yeah. is is a fantastic one of just kind of everything goes down like how crazy can one house get and talk about us talk about set with that too like i i love the like the the train that's going by or whatever mm-hmm. in the background a lot of the time it's 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 fantastic um one i have there's two i have so i have stock 17 which i mentioned before which mm-hmm. i i love it's a billy wilder movie it's about it's a william holden who is an american pow and he's, in, he's at his prisoner of war camp. And I think it's just, it's also kind of another mystery, kind of mur- not a murder mystery, but a mystery film. Um, all kind of takes place in the barracks and then, and then kind of this, this camp. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Billy Wilder, co-writer, director, kind of, it's amazing. Um, and then another kind of more obscure one. Well, no, I'll say this one, Locke. I love Locke. I love mm, Tom Hardy yeah. and Locke. I think it's a fantastic film. Stephen Knight, who wrote and directed it. Uh, I think it's great. I think watching Tom Hardy just be in a car for almost an hour and a half and talk to like uh, uh like Tom Holland and all these random people I think it's just I think it's a, a great kind of filmmaking movie to keep how to keep the tension and interest just in a car like mm-hmm. that's probably one of the more contained movies we could have done is just Tom Hardy in a car yeah um and it's and it's fantastic um and then the last question is what did you learn this month with this genre thomas yeah you know it's these it's these little pieces that like we were saying that we we could recognize in one movie or another but but to see you know the idea that like paranoia would be a through line between comedy and horror and and you know uh whatever mother is and (laughs) and then yeah this this constant like it's just these putting the pieces together like i knew the set for rear window was amazing i knew the camera work in rear window was amazing yeah. completely different type of set in mother and completely different type of shooting style in mother but then when you go through this idea of like this these are so intricately blocked and so intricately yeah. shot and and you can't you can't fall back on you know establishing shot medium 
push in yeah like you 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 if you commit to doing one of these movies you have to challenge yourself and and everyone that everyone that we've talked about all the filmmakers we talked about in this in these movies that we picked because they all succeed in this genre they've all kind of risen to the challenge yeah because like i said you really have to come to play with this type to do it well with this type mm. genre um i really didn't i mean it, really from the very beginning i didn't when i was putting this list together i wasn't expecting the psychological effects and like paranoia aspects that it does to the characters mm. from a comedy to an indie film like clerks to a 1950s film like your window or to a more modern film like uh like mother it's 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 it kind of always present of this something is building um we talk this with with, with kind of one hour or 24 hour movies where it's like we're building towards something an event that's going to occur a lot of the time something's gonna ha- something has to happen by the end of it and this one's just kind of like we have to watch these characters just kind of go go down a descent into something because they're stuck in this place and I wasn't fully expecting that because I think that's why a lot of people can attribute this to thrillers, this genre to like thrillers a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. I, it shows that you can kind of do it in any genre. If it's comedy, if it's drama, if it's thrilling, uh, psychological horror, you can kind of do it. You kind of do whatever. So I think that's why I kind of learned, learned this month. And so I think that's it on contained movies, Thomas. We finally did it. I feel like this yeah. is one that we, we, we've, toyed with several times in terms of like the movies we picked because we love this genre because mm-hmm. I, I always said before i like watching actors act and so i'm fine if it feels play like um yeah and, and i think you're the same way and so next month it's gonna be a big month we're, we're still opening trying to up work, to a whole big world a whole big world we're we're we're, we're moving forward we're we're moving west and it's we're trying to tackle the western genre next month in june we're still trying to map it out because the Western genre is very big. I took a full academic semester to study the Western <laughs> genre, but we're going to pack all of that in a month time into a, into a <laughs> month five, of, of five, five episodes. Five, five, five episodes. Um, so we're still trying to figure it out. We have like the traditional Westerns coming up. We have revisionist Westerns. Um, we'll, we'll try to do a spaghetti Western as well. So there's going to be a lot of stuff we're talking about. I, I can't really announce it because we haven't really... <laughs> Still pinning it down. We're still we're still pinning it down. We have a lot of options. Yes, of, that's the that's the problem. That's the yeah. thing. We have a lot of options. It's like, do you do revisionist westerns from the '60s or '70s, or do you do revisionist westerns? There are more nowadays. These kind of neo type stuff, or do you do other things? Traditional stuff, same way. Do we do a John Ford or Howard Hawks? A lot of questions up in the air. We're still trying to figure it out, but it's gonna be fun. I'm already learning a lot just making the list for this mm-hmm. of like the ones I need to go see just in general. Um, so it's gonna be a fun month so stay tuned for that but that's all we have for you in this episode if you are a fan of the show or a new listener make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise to review on whatever platform listen to the show on you know when, when people come to us and they say thomas and brandon how how do you how do you get your podcast out there how do you get the word out we say it was the listeners on the apple ipods i what, what is it apple, apple podcast uh, apple podcast it was the listeners on the apple podcast with the five-star review that's <laughs> that's how it went that's, that's how, how, how it goes it. down or spotify or, or if you're on Podbean, like anything else yeah wherever you listen i, I can't it, really follow right, those me, as well it was it was the listeners on their preferred podcast <laughs> platform of choice 
the guys with out the five star review. Um, but tell us what you like. Tell us if you have a favorite episode, if you have a favorite genre we've covered. We like hearing from you and what what you what you like about our show. So it's very helpful. Uh, it gives us a little bit of a confidence boost, and and we we always need that, guys. We always mm-hmm. need that. And uh, finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to our episode soon. Bye.